You don't know love unless you lose yourself through it. So I'm a big time blog reader. Again, feel free to judge me accordingly for how I use my time. I completely understand. I just, there's something about reading blogs from people who are quote unquote ordinary who make these extraordinary observations about life. And so last week I came across this one by a guy named Tim and it was entitled, How I Screwed Up My First Chance at Real Love. You can tell this is gonna be a really happy story from the beginning. And so I start reading this blog and Tim talks about, you know, everything was just great in his relationship. You know, he found this person where he looked at his future, there was nothing but commitment and hope. But then as time went on, this rosy scene was snatched away by a poison. What was that toxin? Selfishness. He said he started to realize just how self-focused he was. Everything he thought about was his wants, his needs, and he never took the time to look into what his significant other thought and longed for and wanted. In fact, he said it got so bad as he looked back, he realized he never asked the world's simplest question, how was your day, to the woman he was dating. And the whole time he thought, okay, if I reveal who I am, if she sees the real me, she's not going to stay for a second. But in reality, that illusion of commitment, trying to hide who he was, thinking he was keeping that relationship intact, ended up making it crumble and fall. See, God hardwired each of us for relationship, for family, for longing, for a home, to be connected with him, but also connected with people who love us. How do we find that commitment that can so easily be lost? How can we avoid selfishness in our relationships? And going deeper, why did God create family in the first place? Well, God did so because he saw that something wasn't good. His words, not mine. So think about God here. He, for the last six days, has been creating this incredible universe, having fun the whole way. And it's day six, and after each day, you know, he looked at everything his creativity had done, and he says, God saw all that he had made, and it was good. But then you get to day six, and that evaluation isn't the same, at least not at first. He zeroes in on Adam, the crown of his creation, and he says a stunning remark. He says, it's not good for the man to be alone. In this world of perfection and joy, even still, God saw something was missing. He saw Adam needed something. And God does something really neat here. Instead of just telling Adam what his needs are, Instead of just creating Eve right there on the spot, he wants Adam to discover this need on his own. Adam, who was the most self-sufficient man who ever lived, he had the wisdom of God psychologically, he was physically capable, unlike anything we can imagine today. But this most self-sufficient man needed to realize the interdependency he was built for. And so God becomes the grand marshal of the largest animal parade extravaganza this world has ever seen, at least until Noah. And he sends one by one creature after creature in front of Adam for him to give them a name. Keep in mind here, Adam isn't just giving a bunch of letters, throwing them together, a bunch of syllables tossed together to make up this name. No, each of these names perfectly describes the innate qualities of each animal. Adam was a smart guy. 
He knew the biology, the temperament. He knew just how to define each of these creatures. But as hours passed and genus after genus, species after species, creature after creature, they all funnel past him. He realizes the same life-draining conclusion that God had realized before. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. He discovered what God already knew. In a way, he was kind of an inmate of paradise, right? He looked like he had it all. looked like he could get through life just fine. But in reality, he wasn't whole. And it's that lack of wholeness that we feel that I think is the most lonely place in the world to be. That feeling like there's no one out there who knows you, who gets you, who understands you, who's there for you. Whether it's a friendship that was really close for a long time and then situations change, you move, an argument comes up and that relationship is severed. Or a romantic relationship where you think, this person, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with them. They're going to build me up. They're going to bring me closer to Jesus. Things happen. Life happens. That relationship is broken. In both cases, we feel like we lost a part of who we are. In both cases, we feel like we're not whole. We have a void that needs to be filled. See, if I was Adam, if I was standing in the same place that he was, and I know that he was perfect, but if I was standing in his place, I can just hear the temptations that would be all too eager to give me advice. The one temptation to say, Lord, you messed up. I mean, look at all these animals. They have a partner. They have a confidant. Where is that partner and confidant for me? I'm alone. And then taking it to the next step, if God messed up and he can't do anything about it, well, then it's on me to find this commitment, this hope that I know I need, but I can't find. i got to find it somewhere. And it's that road more traveled. We put it all on our backs to find what we think we want. We look for it in all the wrong places. You know, this road more traveled is littered on each side of the street with fake homes. You have the fake home of pornography that says, okay, God put this sexuality in you and you have no outlet that's going to get out. You've got to get it out of your system, right? So use this. You don't hurt anybody. It's fine. But the more you go into that home, the more you recognize it's not. It's just more emptiness, more shame, more darkness than you could have imagined before. Or it's that fake home of what I call my get-outs, where you look at every relationship you have, whether it's as a parent or a spouse or a friend, and all you're focusing on is kind of like what Tim was focusing on. How can I get what I need out of this relationship? How do I get what I deserve out of this relationship? Self-centeredness versus the other-centeredness, which often just masks this feeling that we have deep within that we have nothing to give, we're unworthy of love, And so we think we can protect ourselves by trying to get from other people what we can't find within. Make no mistake, God created you to have this longing to be connected with him and to be connected with others too. Adam had the perfect connection with God, perfect relationship this way, but even then, he still is missing it this way with other people. See, you and I as sinners, we... We know we need commitment and we know we need true love where people love us for who we are and love us enough to show us God's grace. But we're afraid of it. We know that we need to confess our sins to each other, to let go of the shame that we've been dealing with for so long, to let people into those skeletons in the closet. And yet we hide ourselves and go further and further and further within to try to shield the hurt 
It all does intensify it ever more in the future. But the good news for us is that God doesn't stand idly by as this is going on. God is a romantic at heart. He's a family God. He has so much more in mind for you with a whole different kind of commitment. So you can imagine Adam here, again, wondering, where is that person for me? When God steps in and he gives him something way stronger than Benadryl, if you've ever seen the movie Hitch, you know how strong Benadryl can affect somebody. It's, this is stronger than Benadryl. He knocks out Adam to perform this extraction surgery. He takes out a rib, takes out something very close to Adam's heart to finish the grand finale of all of creation. He saves the best for last. So the creation song hits its crescendo, it hits its climax with the greatest and most beautiful creation God has ever made, women. It's beauty incomparable, intelligence undeniable, and it's love incomprehensible. I told you, God is a romantic at heart, and you're going to see this. I mean, just imagine this wedding scene. The blooming Garden of Eden, you have the animals stopping and watching. You have God arm in arm with his first daughter, walking her down the aisle. And for you married guys out there, you understand the feeling that Adam had probably as he sees his bride coming towards him. I'm amazed that Adam could put words to it. That's incredible. He says, the first human poetry ever. He says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. I just think this is an incredible example of God's grace. He chooses his final act of creation to serve his creation. This God of free and faithful and selfless and covenantal love, he fills a void that only he could fill. It's that selfless love of God that is there for husbands and wives too. It's that selfless love of God that's the commitment we never saw coming. See, God wants you to have people that you can unite with in every way, in the closest of ways. But it's different depending on if you are a man or a woman. See, as a daughter of God, he looks at you, your heavenly father looks at you and he says, do you realize why I waited till the very end to create women? I wanted men and the world over, all of creation to know just how needed you are. This world wouldn't be right. Things would not be good unless you were a part of it. I wanted you to know that your role in the world is not inferior at all. It's completely equal. I want you to be a helper. And that word you see in scripture most of the time is talking about me. I wanted you to reflect something in my heart that this world needed to see more than anything else. And if you ever feel like you're not loved, or you're not whole, or you're not wanted, No, you have a Father in heaven in me who will love you all the same. Who will bring people into your life who will connect you to me to bring you closer to me. Then that same heavenly Father looks at each of his sons and he tells us the story of our great-grandfather times a thousand, Adam. And almost laughing as he says, he looks at us, he says, do you guys understand how incredible women are? And before you answer that, just think about it. (laughs) Because this is the reason why I made them the way I did. They're a part of who you are. In fact, they're really a part of your very heart. Cherish her and love her and appreciate who she is. And understand that at times, if you feel inadequate to loving the women in your life the way that you wish you could, I have forgiveness for you for that. Your brother Jesus paid for that. He's going to walk with you through it all. and He's going to show you every day what it means to be a Christ-like husband and friend and brother and grandson. 
see him and see my heart through him. And then he looks at all of his daughters and his sons and he tells us the reason why he created family and marriage in the first place. He says this, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. This is the commitment you never saw coming. It's not the commitment you see maybe at first glance. Of course, marriage is an incredible commitment. and There's so many blessings attached to it. But the commitment of God, who committed everything to us, his very life to us, not because we earned anything, not that we earned that commitment at all, because he loved you and me so much that he gave up his own life so we could have life to the full. It's Jesus who left his parental home in heaven to come into our world to restore you and to forgive you and to give you a place in his family that can never be touched or taken away. And it's that love, that love that made his bride radiant and blameless and holy like Paul wrote in Ephesians 5. That's the grace he's given to each of us. It's the commitment we never saw coming. It's husbands and wives who put each other first even when it's so challenging to do so. Uniting physically, spiritually, and emotionally, not having shame in doing it. It's husbands who put their wives ahead of themselves, put aside their pride and their ego, and think about all the ways they can build up their wives and to treasure them, to show the joy that they are, and to bring them closer to Jesus in prayer and devotion. It's wives who respect their husbands, even if they don't deserve it encouraging him all the more to continue in his pursuit of Jesus that he can lead the family closer to the heart of God and be a father and a husband like God wants him to be. And this is for single people too. Granted, the the commitment you never saw coming is a little bit different, but a lot of it's the same. It's this commitment to God's vision, Jesus' vision for family and commitment and relationship. It's looking ahead to that future love, whether that comes in a romantic relationship or a friendship. It's trusting that God will fill those voids in ways that we could never expect. I came across a quote this last week that I thought captured this thought really well. said to be loved but not known is superficial. It's comforting, but it's on the surface level. To be known but not loved is our greatest fear that people would know us and refuse to love us. But to be fully known and to be fully loved, that's a lot like being loved by God. It destroys all pretense. It eliminates all self-righteousness. It fortifies us for any challenge life can throw at us. See, it's that incredible vulnerability of our God to choose to walk in the footsteps that we have and to have relationships with his people that were close beyond compare that is what this commitment you never saw coming is all about. And that's why I love verse two or chapter 2, verse 25 a lot. Where, you know, this shameless relationship of Adam and Eve comes out. They were both naked, but they felt no shame. No, they were naked in every way. Not just physically, but they were themselves to one another. They didn't hide anything. You know, so often we fear being vulnerable. We feel letting people in to peer into the skeletons in our closet. But when we do, there's so much healing and restoration that comes from that. And it starts with our Heavenly Father who longs to hear from you and to sit down and talk with you and to have you bear your soul to him. He can bring that forgiveness and restoration that you've been longing for. It's that same bearing of the soul to your spouse too. 
even bringing up some embarrassing things that, you know, are scary to talk about. You know, I have an unhealthy obsession with reading everything Abraham Lincoln ever wrote. It is a problem. And Abby has every right to say, Johnny, you need to stop that. This is ridiculous. But she doesn't. And she loves me all the same. And I know that's kind of a surface level thing. And I know there's deeper things within that are really hard to talk about. But notice what Jesus does. He wasn't afraid to bear his soul to us. We shouldn't be afraid to bear our souls to each other. Because it's in that vulnerability that we find grace all to its full. When we see someone love us, even when they see the warts and the problems, there's no greater commitment in the world. It all starts with the commitment that our God gave to us, right? Commitment to come down to our level and to lift us up to heights that we never thought we could see for ourselves. As you think about your life this week, you think about the people that you've committed to, to serve and to love, don't forget this most unexpected commitment that will follow you every step of the way. This commitment of a God who did everything he could so he could call you son and daughter. Your God who just like with Adam knows your needs before you do. Your God who just like with Adam sometimes has you realize all the things that won't fill those voids only to bring people into your life that will fill those voids in ways you never thought possible. It's your God who will never stop pursuing you and loving you and wanting you to know just how much he values you and how much of a part of his family you are. That's the unexpected love of our God. That's that commitment you never saw coming. That's what God's family is all about. So keep running to him. Keep talking with your father and see a father who really does in every way have the best in mind for you. Amen. And to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be all glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.